Well, it's an honor and a, and a joy for me to introduce our speaker today. Uh, Matt Swigert has been, uh, Matt's been a friend of mine and a mentor to me for something like 10 years, I think, if my math is right. Um, Matt is a um, class of 01 grad from UNW. Uh, he's been in ministry for 21 years. So the first 12 of those years, he was in local church ministry, and since then he's served with LEAD 222, coaching youth pastors all over the country and running their short-term mission trips. Matt recently launched his own nonprofit, Enhance Ministries, working with churches to help their people overcome Lazy River faith. Since leaving local church ministry, Matt has been primarily missionary support-based, which prompted him to take the head men's and women's tennis coach position here at UNW. Tennis? Go Eagles! <laughs> They're right here. They're right here. All right. Nice. <laughs> Matt's now in his 11th season as head coach of the tennis program. Um, a fun fact is that he is soon to be the losingest tennis coach in UNW history. <laughs> I'll, also, I'll also add that, that Matt has long been the winningest head tennis coach in UNW history, but yeah. Um, Matt and his wife, Christina, um, have three children. Caitlin, who's a sophomore here at UNW. Um, Caleb, who's a high school junior. And Lucy, who's in seventh grade. They live in Cottage Grove with their two dogs, Rocky and Sula. Would you give a warm welcome to Matt Swigert? Hey, good morning, everybody. Am I on? Am I on? I'm almost on. I can hear it. Uh, hey, Darren, um, I think it's been close to like 15 years that we've been friends. And uh, I got to say, it's really cool being somebody who's, I mean, just been a friend, but obviously cared for and invested in you, uh, seeing how God has taken you on a journey uh, when you weren't sure uh, even maybe at some points what your value was to now see you doing this, man. It's awesome. So you guys are blessed to have a guy like Darren uh, investing in you and running this stuff. So very, very proud of you, man, and glad to be your friend and, and glad to be here. Um, hey, uh, any football players in the room? Hey, let's go. Let's go football. Congrats on running the table in the conference. Good luck this weekend. Uh, volleyball players. They're gone already? Gee, that's a bonus, getting to go. Well, congrats to the volleyball team, and also shout out to women's basketball for beating St. Scholastica. That's always a good win. And uh, men's basketball beating Bethel. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> of, of course, the biggest applause is anti-Bethel. I... I I actually married a Bethel girl, I love you, uh, but it just shows that God can work in cross-cultural relationships, and <laughs> it's all good. Uh, yes, I am the losingest, or soon to be the losingest tennis coach all time at Northwestern, uh, and I, I would like to take a moment just to thank all of the players that have helped me achieve that great milestone, <laughs> uh, and, but for real, I'm so, I'm so blessed, honestly. When I started, uh, it was something, obviously, like, I don't know if some of you guys maybe come from missionary families and, and things like that, but the journey of raising donor funds uh, is a scary one. And so, really, when I started, it was like, all right, I was a youth pastor. I know students, and this would be really 
cool and fun, but it's a few less living rooms I've got to sit in. And now I, I look at all my players here sitting in the splash zone, so I apologize if anything lands on you as I'm talking here. But uh, I love my players, and I'm so grateful for getting to do that. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know if uh, any of you, your, your youth pastors have been involved in Lead 222, or uh, if any of you have ever been on one of our mission trips, but really blessed to the last eight years, been coaching youth pastors all over the country, and uh, running short-term missions all over North America. And so uh, if any of you are studying student ministry, uh, I'd love to connect with you and just share with you our tagline for Lead 222 is healthy leaders lead healthy lives, families, and ministries. And, you know, those are the ones that are seeing more students coming to know Jesus. So uh, if, you're, if you're going into student ministry, um, man, there's a community of youth pastors here around uh, the Twin Cities, but also around the country that I'd love to connect you with uh, even now. Um, and then with Enhanced Ministries, my, my nonprofit, uh, Darren talked about overcoming Lazy River Faith, and we're going to talk about one of the ways to do that today. Uh, but just two weeks ago, I, I had my first cohort meeting with a group of senior pastors, that now I'm coaching uh, this group of senior pastors, and really the, the objective is to help them train and disciple their people in their church to overcome Lazy River Faith, which I'll talk about in a second, and their church as a whole, uh, to be making a difference in their community. And, and so really blessed to be able to do that. So the Lord's allowed me uh, some really cool opportunities, and I, I get to do a lot of coaching, coaching college tennis players, uh, coaching church leaders, um, students on mission trips. It's really a, a gift. So Today, uh, we're going to talk about overcoming Lazy River Faith, and, and Lazy River Faith is a, uh, a term that I came up with when I was speaking to a group of sixth graders uh, who, go to, who went to a Christian school. And I talked about going to a Christian school is kind of like a lazy river. And it's, it's really easy to go with the flow. Uh, you know, you just learn to kind of look like everybody else, talk like everybody else, and you think that you're doing a good job. And as I, the years have gone by, and I've kind of used that phrase over and over and over again, I, I've come to define it even more broadly. And, and Lazy River Christians are people who have prayed the prayer, right? And their emphasis on praying the prayer is, man, I just want to get in. It's kind of like the fire insurance saying, like, heaven sounds better than hell, so let's do this, you know? So I'm going to pray the prayer. And then essentially their life as a follower of Jesus is kind of tossing their tube into the Lazy River of church world and, and Christendom and all of that, just going with the flow, looking like all the other Christians, you know, don't say swears and listen to Christian music, you know, and, and really be a good person, right, and go to church. But really, all they're doing is just holding on until heaven. And I don't believe that that's the point. In fact, a lot of times, uh, Lazy River Christians, you know, if it's all about heaven, uh, I would push back on them and say, I don't think Jesus came and died for us just so that we can go to heaven. Heaven wasn't the point of the cross. Heaven is the reward of being a follower of Jesus. It's the hope that we look forward to, and it's the reward of that. It's the reward of our faith. But if our faith was just about, okay, give your life to Jesus, and now you're into heaven, wouldn't it make sense if that were true, that, that in that moment, God would just zap us out of here, right? If, if the gospel of salvation was just about going to heaven, we would, we would be gone as soon as we make that faith statement. But the fact that God doesn't do that means that there's a purpose for each of our lives as his followers. A purpose to be used as a vessel for his kingdom. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people, a lot of people who claim to be followers of Jesus uh, are missing. 
And so that's the, kind of the focus in, in my heart in that. And then I would also add to it, you know, you think about how many churches have closed their doors over the, the years. And COVID, you know, obviously accelerated that in many ways. In fact, I've got a good friend who used the term uh, COVID-19 exposed the church for being non-essential. And that, like, that one's like a kick in the gut to me. You know, like, yeah, Walmart stays open because they're meeting the needs of the community, but churches can't. Because really, when it comes to the needs of our communities, uh, many churches are irrelevant. And I, I, would, I would say that, you know, a, a way to confirm that is because how many churches have closed their doors, and I haven't heard a single story of like a community or a neighborhood that's around a church coming and like, you know, beating down the doors and picketing outside saying, you can't close, you make too much of a difference here. Most churches are closing and, and nobody notices or nobody cares. Uh, and so that's really my heart and, and what, I'm, what, what I feel God is calling me to do uh, in ministry. So today when we're talking about Lazy River Faith or being Lazy River Christians or, or stop being Lazy River Christians, I want to talk about sin. And this is an uncomfortable topic that I've actually found many pastors uh, avoid. They don't want to talk about sin. They, it's, a, it's kind of taboo, but honestly, it's a dangerous. Obviously, sin is dangerous, but it's dangerous to not talk about it. And sin is the greatest threat to the fruitful life that Jesus wants us to live. And so we have to address this. We have to uh, deal with it. And, and I know that you guys know this. I know that if I, you know, asked, uh, you know, have you, can you articulate what your kind of normal or common or most uh, biggest struggle in sin is? You could probably articulate that right now. Uh, my question for you is, are you fighting that? Uh, and are you standing in the power and the truth that God's word gives us, that God's spirit, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's living in us, uh, that helps us overcome the world and the temptations of the world? Are you fighting it? I hope so. So I want to read a couple uh, scripture passages here, and then I'm going to dive into a story. So Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. One sin makes you fully 100% guilty of all of the law. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. There's some like, I don't know, like dark passages there, like all have sinned. It's like hopeless. You can't avoid sin. You were born into sin, right? All have sinned. The wages of sin, what that sin deserves is death, eternal separation from God, right? Even a physical death. Now, Adam and Eve didn't die right away, but death entered into the world, uh, first by the animals that were killed to clothe them, but then ultimately their death uh, becoming a, a real part for uh, almost every human that's ever lived. But we, we know that uh, Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin, and so there's this really great hope uh, that we have because of the cross. And so um, I'm going to take that, I'm going to pray, and then I got a story to share. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of being able to be here. Um, Lord, as a former student who sat in this room so many times uh, with a varying degree of different postures uh, day to day, I pray that each person here would be open to hearing what you have to say. I pray that they would be humble. Um, 
and be encouraged by your spirit where possible and convicted where necessary. Thank you for your word. Thank you for testimony um, of your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, a few months ago, I had the chance to be at a conference with some other church leaders um, trying to train and equip them to be better leaders um, and, and in their churches, but also in their families uh, and in their circles of influence. And after the conference was done, a few of us uh, had a chance just to hang out a little bit and, and I don't know, it, it was just some buddies, right? And, and we were talking and, and not talking about anything specifically, but then obviously like there's this, you know, genuinely authentic community is one of my core values. Like if we get to know each other, uh, I want to, like, I want to go deep. Like, I, I'm, I'm not interested in a, a million friends, you know. Uh, I'm interested in any conversation I'm in to be able to figure out what God's up to in that and help us go deeper and sharpen each other um, as, as Jesus followers. So the conversation started to go deep. And, and we, we were talking about this. Uh, one guy shared the story about at his church— um, once a month, they do like a new visitor welcome thing, okay? So it's like, hey, come and meet the pastors and, and get your questions answered and stuff like that. And now I want to take a side note. Uh, I, I'm going to, there are some details of the story that uh, aren't the main point, but I'm going to share them uh, just because it helps you understand. So there was a lesbian couple that, that were there. Um, they were married and uh, they showed up and they'd been coming to church and they showed up at this, this thing. And uh, my friend was telling a story about how this couple kind of cornered a young uh, woman uh, who's on staff at their church and asked the question, well, would you allow us to be in, in positions of leadership if we're, you know, in a same-sex marriage? And uh, from, from what I'm told, the, the tone of that was a little bit of like a, a setup. They were, they were kind of cornering this girl. And, and also what I'm told is this young leader handled that situation really, really well. And she said, well, unfortunately, according to our statement of faith, uh, we would not. Now, we would love for you to be a part of our church, but, but according to our statement of faith, that we would not uh, allow that. And, uh, it, you know, and, and then they like immediately just handed back the gift, and I don't even know what, he didn't say what it was, but handed back the gift and stormed out of the room. And, and it was this weird thing, and we're all sitting around and we're thinking, man, the world is just, it's kind of a crazy world. And, and there are questions and there are issues that us as church leaders are having to wrestle with. And, and how do we handle that? Like, how do we show, like, how do we show truth? And, and truth, like, every church is, like, saying this is what we believe in Scripture. And so we're standing, we're making decisions based on this. And, and again, I'm not talking about, like, um, I'm not making any statements about anything. But I'm just saying there, there are a lot of hard things out there, Okay. And, and we, we got talking about especially the, you know, how do you communicate with students, for instance, on this? And how do we help them? Because in, in high schools, especially public schools, like it's, you're being told, or you watch any new Disney show right now. Uh, it, I mean, it's in your face. It's like you, you're rooting for the same sex. Like, you know, and, and it's like, it's crazy how much, and, and how do you help students figure out what God's word says and then align their life to that? Okay, now, so one of the things, as the conversation got going, we were talking about that, and, and the Lord, like, all of a sudden hit me with something, and I said, hey, here's something that I think is really important, and I've always tried to do this, but uh, when we're talking about, or when you as a youth pastor, or you in, in whatever context you're in, 
are talking about, for instance, the sin of homosexuality. You cannot pull that out of Scripture and make it this thing, right? It can't be this thing where, where like, all Christians are like, it's this, and we're like, oh, that's, you know, that's terrible, and it's this whole big thing. I said, when we're talking to students about the sins of same-sex attraction, we have to equally and strongly share the temptations that come from opposite sex attraction. So we can say, yes, homosexuality is a sin, but also, I, I haven't done the math in this, but as many or more times, Paul references sexual immorality, all other things, right? It doesn't matter if it's same sex or opposite. When we're talking about uh, any sort of sexual sin, we have to talk about it on both sides and, and say, I struggle with Opposite sex attraction, when I see a beautiful woman, it triggers something in me. I have to fight against that. And that, and, and if I ever act out on that, or the times that I have acted out on that, I am as much in sin, and that sin separates me from God as much as somebody who does the same things in same sex, okay? So it was this really interesting thing, and, and there was a couple younger leaders in the group, and, and it was like this light bulb went on, like, yeah, like sin is sin, Right? Now there's, like, whether it's, again, we're just, for example, using uh, sexuality here, but attraction, not a sin. If you're same-sex or opposite-sex attracted, that's not a sin. One is more natural than the other, but neither are a sin. Being tempted, you know this, is not a sin. But acting out on that temptation is. That's when it becomes a sin, and it's equally a sin either direction, okay? And so we, we kind of had a cool conversation around that, and it was sharpening these guys as leaders and really trying to give them some tools to, you know, help their students understand that, that sin is sin. And when speaking, teaching, training, discipling, shepherding, we have to address all sin because all have sinned. All sin separates us from God. All sins require eternal punishment. And then, yet, praise the Lord for what Jesus did on the cross. And so it was a really cool conversation, okay? So I'm going to come back to that point. Now, we, uh, we decide that we're going to go, uh, go find a place to eat dinner together. And so we went, all went to change, and uh, it was probably about 15 minutes. And I went and got in my car and drove over to where the other guys were and picked them up. And one guy got in my front seat. And like, mind you, like 15 minutes ago, we're sitting there having this incredibly deep, deep conversation. And he was like locked in, okay? And now he gets into my front seat and he can't hardly keep his eyes open. And at first I was kind of laughing at him. I was like, bro, you know, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Oh, oh okay. You know, that hits you hard. And, and after a little while, we're kind of driving around and like he's not perking up. In fact, he's like basically asleep. And I'm starting to get a little nervous, and I'm looking at the guys in the back seat, and I'm just like, what's going on? And I was like, dude, have you, have you eaten anything? Have you drank anything? Like, have you consumed anything? Because this is, this is getting weird. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm just dehydrated, he said. And so I'm just, I don't know, you know, so I'm, I'm genuinely concerned. So we end up finding a place to eat, and I go around, and, and I open up the door, and like, help him get out. So I'm like, maybe he just needs to walk it off. And actually one of the other guys went and grabbed some water from a, the gas station that was around the corner. And so uh, while he's gone, I get my buddy out of the car and his legs are like jello. And he kind of falls and I catch him. 
and stand him up and his knees locked. He's like, oh no, no, I'm good. And I was like, no, you're not. Sit down. And I get him back into the car and, and it, now he's drinking water and all that and I'm still pressing him. Like, have you done anything? Have you drank anything? Whatever. No, no. And I said, I mean, I'm not a great um, uh, EMT mind or whatever, but what I understand is like that could be, he could be having a stroke right now. Uh, just like he's not, things aren't working right. So I said, man, I got to take you to the ER. And so we get in, we go to the emergency room, we wheel him in, check him in, and then the nurse comes and, and I go back with him to the room. And finally back in that room, he shares with me that he's been struggling with alcohol. And at first he said, uh, he's like, yeah, on my way to the conference today, I stopped for lunch and I had a couple beers. And I was like, dude, <laughs> there's no way two beers would kick in and make you this sloppy drunk five hours later, okay? Like, I'm not a great alcohol mind either, but for real, like, no way. And then finally he said, yeah, and I also bought a bottle of vodka, and while we were changing, uh, I drank half of that bottle. And I was like, you know, I, I had a whole, uh, a whole mix of emotions in that moment. Uh, my daughter, my tennis players can, can attest I'm a truth speaker. Uh, and so a lot of truth was spoken in that moment. I was terribly inconvenienced, terribly. I was looking forward to an evening hanging out with my friends, uh, having more great conversations, and here I am in the ER. Um, but here's the thing that God did, and this is getting back to this whole sin is sin thing. So here I'm, I'm sitting across the room. He's up on the bed, uh, and I'm in the chair by the table. I'm sitting across the room and I'm seeing a good friend of mine, like I've coached this guy. I've invested in his life. I know him. And I'm seeing him across the room where his private sin had just become public. And instead of like judging him, so now the example is let's take alcohol and make it this thing. And I could be like, oh, I'm so offended. Like alcohol, it's the worst, you know, and all of that, right? And, and say, well, I would never, I would never do that. And I... I I could say that, but that would be such a lazy river Christian thing to do. And what God did in me, and this, this wasn't, and I'm not saying like that I chose this or uh, like yay me or, or pat me on the back, but what God did in me in that moment is, is I, I saw my friend mortified that his secret had just been exposed. Instead of sitting in judgment on him or being angry with him, the Lord like opened my eyes to what if that were me? What if, what if in, in any particular moment, my private sin, the things that I struggle with, the thoughts, the actions, the attitudes, the words, uh, what if those things all became public? I'd be mortified. And in that moment, like the Lord gave me the opportunity to be gracious on my friend and to care well for him. Again, yes, I was inconvenienced. And these last few months, like, the phone calls, the accountability. In fact, a phone call a couple days after we got home from his wife uh, and just caring for her. Uh, it, it, there's been a lot, but man, that when I saw somebody else's, when I saw my friend's sin, I became more uh, convicted at my own sin than offended at his. We got to be careful uh, 
when we have that, when we observe sin in other people's lives, when we're having conversations with our friends or, or, or we hear things and, and, and there's, a, you know, there's that knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, I, I can't believe I would never do that. I mean, name the sin. I would never smoke weed. I would, I would never have sex before marriage. I would never do those things. And, and well, what if, you know, the person who has done those things and who's trying to follow Jesus and trying to see recovery in whatever area, what if they hear or perceive that posture in you? That's actually the opposite of the gospel. Then you as a perceived follower of Jesus is actually moving that person further away from their understanding of the grace-filled, loving God that died for them. And uh, I was seeing in Luke 6, 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your, own eye, or out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. When you observe something wrong, when you observe sin in, in somebody else's life, the first reaction ought to be take a look at yourself. Take a look at that. And, and it could be like, well, before I help this person, I, I do need to make sure I, I do some work. But man, it's like asking God the question, Lord, I see that. Is there anything in me that, that doesn't please you? Like, I want to be, like, it, it, I want to be my, my relationship with God, my purity, my right relationship with him is more important than any, like, opinion that I may have or any role that I might play in ministering to that person. God is more concerned with who you are and, and your kind of journey with overcoming sin than he is you helping somebody else, especially if your posture is going to be in judgment. So get yourself right. Get the, the log or the plank out of your own eye before you help somebody else. So lazy river faith. Just get in. Pray the prayer. It's all about surviving to heaven. There's no fruit. Go with the flow of other Christians. It's, that's such a passive posture. It's uh, so apathetic towards the things of, of kingdom. And like lazy river Christians oftentimes like treat the world or treat other Christians uh, like, like you're, on a, you're at a museum on a moving walkway, and, and so, like, it, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those types of museums where you're in, and it's like this room, and then you're into this room, and, and it's like, as you're just kind of moving, and, and, and all of that, and you see sin in someone's life, like, it's like, oh, and I, I thought about, what's the guy that with the, the funny face where his mouth opens super wide, and, you know, the, the, the gif or whatever that, that has that, I thought about putting that up on the screen right now, it's like, oh, I can't believe that, that's so, that's so appalling, I, I, I just can't believe that, and you just stand there, and you kind of observe, or, or let's say you're in the tube on the lazy river, and you're just floating along, and seeing other people's lives, and, and you just sit and judge them, and, and that's, that, or lazy river Christians do that, you think about the priests and the Levite in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Those two guys cared more about their cleanliness. They cared more about their religion than they did about helping the person who was in need. They, they went out of their way to avoid any, any potential that they might get unclean or dirty. And, and it was just like a gasp, like, oh no, I have to. I'm walking down one side of the road. Now I have to cross over to the other to avoid that. And, and just think, if that man, I don't, you know, it was just a parable, but if he was conscious and saw that, like these are, the, these are the religious leaders, these are the holy people, they're supposed to be helping and they're not. They're actually moving that guy further away from an understanding of God's love. Because they were lazy river Christians or lazy river religious people. Here's another way to look at this. I got a picture here. 
okay? Let's say that, uh, actually, my mother just traveled to Scotland, Scotland, uh, and, uh, and let's say we're going by a Scottish hillside, and we see that, and you're like, wow, look at those sheep. Like, they, they stand out so much from the hillside. They'll, they look beautiful. They're so white that, you know, everything looks clean and, and perfect. And then we go to uh, uh, some Scottish castle and, and uh, eat lamb roasted right in front of us over an open fire and all those different things. Uh, we sleep covered in bear skin or whatever, you know, all those things that you must do in Scotland. But then the next day, okay, next day we're driving back. It's time to, it's time to go home. It's time to go to the airport. But overnight it snowed, Okay. And we go by the same herd of sheep or flock of sheep, and we see that. Now, as I look at that picture, my eyes see the sheep pop just as much as the first picture, right? But the difference is, it's the background. And so for me, when I was in, in high school, actually, really cool, I had a chance to preach in my childhood church yesterday, back in my hometown, uh, Sparta, Wisconsin. Let's go. Go Sparta. You guys from Sparta? Wisconsin, okay. <laughs> oh, you must know people. Uh, hey, hey, but seriously, as part owner of the Green Bay Packers, I slept a lot better last night than... Uh, and, and complete aside, how lucky do the Vikings get? I mean, seriously. It's just... Uh, hey, hey, tip the cap to the Vikings. They're doing what they need to do, but they're winning ugly. Anyway, okay. So when I was in high school, I've got a lot of regret because I was, if you could go back to the first slide or the first picture. So let's say I assumed that I was the sheep in this picture, okay? And I wanted to be, I wanted to be pure. I wanted to be holy. I wanted to be a good, a good Christian, okay? But all I did when I was in high school, and I would even say well into my time here in college, is that I compared myself to the world around me. And I kind of ranked sin. And I was like, well, I, I'm not bad like that. That means I must be doing, doing okay, right? Like, I'm not like those other people. And there's a story about a Pharisee, like saying, praying out in the public and, and saying, at least I'm not like the tax collectors, right? And, and so here, I'm like thinking, I'm doing a good job. Because compared to the background behind me, I look good. But if we go to the second picture— but if we decide that we're going to compare ourselves to the perfect, pure holiness of God and the standard of Scripture, what, what do I see about myself? I see that I've got, I've got issues. I've got sin. And there's a difference in posture and mindset there that, you know, as, as, as we are walking our path with Jesus and, and we observe sin in other people, what's our reaction? Do we respond like, at least I'm not like them? Or... Do we compare ourselves to the standard of Scripture and allow God to do the work in us that he needs and then allow us to, to invest in them? So when we observe sin in others' lives, first thing we need to do is take a look in the mirror. And again, I'm not sitting here saying, like, I, I am this super holy person who in that emergency room, uh, I did the right thing because I'm so good. No, like the Lord showed up and spoke to me in that moment and really convicted me and helped me before I fell over the edge of judgment or anger or annoyance. He helped me look at my own sin first and put myself in that person's shoes. So look at the mirror first. And then love 
and care for that family member, that friend, that teammate, that classmate, that neighbor, and or that enemy. Care for them. Like Jesus, who didn't judge or push away, but he brought the hurting close. Jesus pursued the hurting. He pursued the lonely. He pursued the sinful. Because at least they would acknowledge what they're doing. Those that that claimed to be religious, those that were in the lazy river at that time, Jesus, you know, reserved his harshest words for them. And so for us as followers of Jesus, uh, we need to care well. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus kind of shares his posture. When he sees sin, when he sees the hurting, what's his posture? He doesn't stand up there with his arms like this and, you know, doing that. Or like, come on, stupid, I died for you. You should know better, you know? He's saying, no, come to me. I'm gentle, I'm humble. And if that's Jesus' posture, why isn't it more our posture? Lazy River Christians sit in judgment. Genuine, authentic followers of Jesus are so convicted by their own sin that they have grace. They're gentle and humble with those around them. Unfortunately, it seems the church corporately and individually within it, more often adds to the load the hurting are carrying rather than partnering with Jesus and carrying and lightening that load. If anyone ever feels judged by you or us, that would be a tragedy as it would cause them to question God's love and live fully in his grace and forgiveness. And I want to say something to you. Like if you're sitting here saying, uh, I'm like, I'm the other person. I'm the friend that that drank the vodka. I'm, I'm the one who's still struggling with sin. I want to say, I love you. And I see you. And God does. And I want to say, if, if being around Christians, and I hope that, I hope that what I'm saying is, is uh, info and things that you'll take from here, that, that this Northwestern community never struggles with this. But if you've been surrounded by Christians and feel judged by them, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, You need to overcome that sin. You need to. You need to figure it out. You need to live in the truth that Jesus' blood like cleanses you from all sin. That there, I mean, there are some some things that that you got to figure out in your relationship with him. And I like urge you to that. Quit sinning. Quit it. In fact, kind of a cool thing. Yesterday, a a husband of a high school friend showed up at church because he heard I was speaking. And I, I actually met him at our 25th high school class reunion this summer and he was pretty intoxicated (laughs) and he heard that I was going to be speaking in church so he came and he wanted to tell me that for the last eight weeks he hasn't drank you know and and the Lord's getting a hold of his life he's like I was reading in the Bible where Jesus said if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and he's like I need to cut out alcohol and he's just done it and I was like dude that's incredible way to go like that's if you are one of those people And I think we all have our sin issues. We need to fight that. Fight it. But within this community, and I'm going to tell you as someone who's gone from here, and I, like, I was a pastor for 12 years. Like, pastors don't have a lot of friends. Darren was one of my, and he still is a very good friend. But for a season, Darren was one of my best friends. My youngest daughter had a seizure one day. 
and we went to the, the emergency room, and I was like, I was going through and trying to find people I could text to ask them to pray, and Darren was one of those people, and we didn't go to the same church. He was a pastor at a different church. Like, I haven't had friends or community like you guys are experiencing every day. And there's a really unique opportunity that you guys have right now. But the thing is, like, be, like, be agents of grace. Be agents of love. Be agents of restoration and reconciliation with each other. Help people. Walk with people through their sin issues. So that we become, and when you leave here, whenever it is, hopefully it's graduation, and, uh, you know, but when you leave here, that you leave more intimate, authentic followers of Jesus. So the challenge for us today, first of all, is that we would be more offended by our own sin than the sins of others. That we would be more appalled at, I can't believe that. Jesus, please help me. Please forgive me. Thank you that you've already forgiven me. And that we would pursue the hurting. That we would take Jesus' humble and lowly heart and share that and be that with our classmates, our friends, our roommates. That we would look for people who we can walk alongside into their own, like, fulfillment in their relationship with Jesus. Are you guys in? Good. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Again, thank you for the gift of being able to, to be here. I pray that um, anything that you wanted said uh, was said, and the, the fruit of it, Lord, now is in your Spirit's hands. Uh, go and help us live the lives that, that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.